This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting, and fishing radio. Great to have you back for another episode. Just wanted to thank all, as usual, all my Patreon supporters that support me on the show. I really do thank you for that. You guys know who you are, and just uh, want to let you know that I really, really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to join me on Patreon just to help out the show, that'd be absolutely fantastic. Of course, you don't have to, but uh, if you don't as well, I'd love for you just to share it on Facebook or share it on your social medias. Uh, share it with your family. You know, I'd really, really appreciate that. If you do want to support me, that'd be awesome. Also, uh, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash AHP. Now, going on with the tradition for the last about three weeks or so, this time we are crossing the Pacific Ocean. This time we're going to Texas, USA uh, to have a chat with Eric Cortina from EC Precision. Now, he does a lot of consulting. He also sells barrel tuners as well. He also got a fantastic, uh, very upcoming YouTube channel with lots of views on it, talking about things like precision shooting, uh, reloading, and how to get the best out of your rifle. I know he also does uh, several different disciplines as well, including PRS, and he's always trying to help. Uh, help people and get the best out of your rifle especially when it's shooting at those longer distances so today we're going to find out about eric we're going to talk about reloading we're going to talk about uh, long range shooting we're going to talk about these disciplines and how to get the best uh, out of your rifle and what he believes to be uh, the best mix of success to get the best out of your rifle for you know all those things in from hunting to long range shooting to just anything you want to do with a fire and what's the best way to get the most accurate results out of your rifle and uh, yeah check out his youtube channel eric cortina it's e-r-i-k-c-o-r-t-i-n-a as usual you can find the podcast on the website australianhuntingpodcast.com.au you can also find us on itunes you can also find us on stitcher as well and uh, it's been building up on the youtube channel slowly as well of course most of my downloads do come from itunes but just to make it a lot easier for people uh, i also upload the podcast to youtube as well it's a bit of extra work but i know people like that because a lot of us do use youtube and that's the best way to also uh to listen to the show especially i had one guy message me and email me just a few days ago saying you know he goes to work quickly jumps on youtube subscribes to the channel and uh when it comes up in the morning he listens to it while he's going to work so that's absolutely fantastic as well so uh thanks for that i really appreciate the listenership uh here on the australian hunting podcast and we're actually getting very close to that uh, 10 year mark we're in october this i'm recording this show uh on october 15th so we're at about four or five months until we hit that big 10 year mark one decade of podcasting the longest hunting shooting and fishing radio show in australia i can't believe it and uh talking about fishing as well i do love that as well so i know i've neglected that part of the show quite significantly so i'm going to be getting a bit 
a bit back into that as well and uh you know doing a bit more on that fishing circuit as well because i love a lot of people especially during the summertime especially like me during the summer you know i sort of hang up the rifles in summertime because i don't know i'm just i hate the heat i'm not (laughs) even sydney's too hot for me i like to you know cooler weather possible and you know it's always better at least in winter you can you know put some thermals on you can rug up you can get warm but you know during the summertime especially when you're out in the field mate that sun is just beating down a lot of the places that i go still quite hot in the outback it's if, if i've got a house to stay in or something along those lines or sleeping quarters good sleeping quarters i don't really have a problem or a way to get out of the sun but you know sort of just camping you know in your tent it gets hot i mean you've all been there you've you all know it uh, just not my favorite thing to do i'd rather just get out the rods and you know hit a bit of fishing especially if i'm going to malacuta or you know even just getting in sydney throwing some bait in the water um you know it's fantastic to do that during the summertime until things cool down to sort of that march you know every year and start get back into deer hunting or rabbit shooting or whatever it may be of course you can go on the website again if you want to leave us a voicemail go on the website australianhuntingpodcast.com.au click on that voicemail icon send us a voicemail we'll play it through the show Uh, and as i said before once i get some more questions uh, I'm also going to do like a questions and answer podcast, not part of straight shooting because, you know, apparently people said that takes yeah, about an hour of the first part of the show to go through all that, which I kind of agree with. Uh, so we're going to do that as well. And I've got currently in the works just something to do with state forest hunting as well. Uh, we're going to do from, you know, a go to woe, so to speak. So how to get into state forest hunting. Uh, it's going to be pretty basic. The first one, I'm uh, just going to talk about gear, things that you need. And then I'm actually going to talk to uh, have some small segments just from people about what their best tips and tricks are on starting to hunt on public land now it doesn't have to be state forest in new south wales it could be victoria it could be the northern territory it could be south australia depending on uh, where they have public land hunting and things that you can do but just some basic tips and tricks and uh, i'm going to interview some of my friends as well about what their tips and tricks are and what they think to be the best way to get into it and the best tips and tricks they've learned because i know i've got my opinion but they've also got different opinions as well and uh, if we can give you a well-rounded group of uh, opinions about the best way to do it then hopefully i can do that so i'm hoping you guys are going to enjoy that i think that's going to be absolutely fantastic and i hope you enjoy uh, this show with uh, eric Cortina from ec precision we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today so i think without further ado we will get into the show with eric all right eric cortina thanks for uh accepting my invitation mate to come on the show i've been watching your youtube channel and i thought wow i've got to get this guy on the show i like what you're talking about so thanks for uh, accepting uh, all the way from san antonio texas usa well thank you for having me no worries mate I guess first off, I want to find out who is Eric Cortina. Just uh, tell us a bit about yourself, I guess, growing up, you know, shooting, how you got into shooting, just a bit of a background about yourself, mate. That'd be great. So um, my dad used to take us out when I was about five years old and just kind of let us shoot his pistol. And uh, that was all I did for for the next 12 years. I didn't really do any shooting. And then I met a friend of mine who was really into hunting, and he invited me, and then I got, you know, I got the bug, I got hooked. We started hunting doves. That was the first thing I hunted. Then we hunted coyotes and hunted deer. And uh, that's where it started. And I did that for a few years until I was invited to go elk hunting. And uh, when I went, and then I realized once I was in Colorado, I realized that the shots were going to be long. And I did not, I was not prepared. I had never shot long range. So I ended up not even seeing an elk, but I did promise myself that I was going to learn how to shoot long range. 
And when I got back, I started researching as to where I can go and shoot and learn. And uh, uh, I found a local club that shot 500-yard F-class, and that's kind of how I started into F-class. And uh, as they say, the rest is history. I ended up finally giving up hunting <laughs> and doing long-range shooting uh, <laughs> full-time, pretty much. Yeah, so when you were when you were younger, shooting pistols and then getting a bit older, when did you sort of, when you said you got back into it about 10 to 12 years later, like how old were you then when you sort yeah, of started so I hunting? Was about, I was about uh, about 18 or 19 when I when I got into hunting again. Um, well, not again, that was kind of the first time I got into hunting. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. I, what I, I realized what I enjoyed the most was, uh, was the guns, shooting the rifles and and uh, tinkering with them and trying to get them to shoot as good as possible. And uh, it was just, uh, I, I just had to do a lot of learning really fast uh, just because I, I was not happy with the, with the guns. I did not understand why guns would not shoot in a small ragged hole every time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I just, yeah. Thought that was, I, just, I just thought of guns like, especially rifles, I just thought of them like lasers, you know? They should all go to the same hole, and uh, when they didn't, it, it, I, I had to understand why, and then I had to kind of that sent me in my in my search for uh, kind of you know accuracy search uh, on my accuracy journey, I guess I could call it, and uh, and then uh, when I got into uh, into uh, long range shooting, they kind of the both kind of got together. And you know they came together, and then I, I realized I could do both. I could I could shoot long range, and I could pursue my my journey of uh, you know accuracy, trying to put all 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 the shots in the same hole. Yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of what led me to to what I <laughs> what I do now. Yeah. And when you were when you said you were sort of learning from your dad and all that, was he into uh, hunting? Any brothers or sisters that yeah got into hunting or shooting as well? Not just you or. No, just me, pretty much. Uh, my dad, he quit hunting a long time ago, and uh, and that's why I didn't hunt. But nobody in our family hunts. And uh, like I said, once I got back into hunting, uh, my dad and my brother kind of got back back into it, but very very lightly. You know, they, they you know they may go and shoot a deer or two uh, once a year, and that's it. After that's done, they put their guns away. And uh, like I said, to me, I, I found out that the guns is what what was more interesting to me. So, uh, I just shoot, I just shoot year round. I don't, you know, I don't stop when, <laughs> when the season starts yeah. or when the season stops, I don't stop. Yeah. I just keep shooting. I, I, I watch a lot of those, um, videos, you know, on, on YouTube, a lot of the elk hunting. And when I see the size of some of those, uh, elk, it's just, it just blows my mind how big of an animal they actually are. And, you know, I'm sure I'd like to get over there one day and, see if I could actually hunt some elk. I think that'd be fantastic. And, uh, man, what a big, big animal. Yeah, they are very big. and They're very tough. Uh, I've never shot one, but I've heard that they're very hard to kill. Um, so you need a you need a very well-placed shot, and obviously you need a very good bullet and, a, and a, a very good cartridge, you know, with enough power to put it down. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, tell us about your, I mean, yeah, the shooting disciplines you shoot in, your F-class career. Tell us a bit about that. So, yeah, so I started doing F-class just because that's, that's what the club that I found was doing. And then from there, I met some uh, 
some other guys that were very serious about F-Class. And I started going with them to uh, to Houston. And that's where the that's where they shoot a thousand yards. And uh, once I went to Houston, then I realized how bad I really was. Because see, at, at the local club, I thought I was pretty good. But once I went to Houston, and, and that's where the serious, uh, the guys that take it seriously, that's where they shoot. And uh, I found out how bad I really was. And, uh, you know, I'm, I always, I'm always very competitive. So once <laughs> yeah. I saw how bad I, <laughs> how bad I really was, I bought, uh, I bought an F-class rifle. I used the F-class rifle and I decided I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to do all this and I'm going to, I'm going to get good at it. So that's kind of what started my, my F-class career, if I can call it that. And, uh, I started experimenting and I started tuning and reading and testing and, and just, I mean, I did that for, for the next 10 years. I did that, you know, religiously. Uh, that's what I did. I would test, shoot, test, shoot. And uh, so, you know, I, I did that for a long time. And I'm still doing F-Class. And, uh, but then, you know, lately, a couple of years ago, I had, I had actually been shooting F-Class for about 10 years. And then a friend of mine invited me to go shoot uh, PRS. And uh, I decided to go give that a try. I found that to be very fun as well. So I, now I shoot F-Class and uh, mainly F-Class, but I, I do a little PRS on the side. Just uh, the PRS matches are very close by. You know, they're very local. So I can, you know, I can go shoot once a month or twice a month if I want. And uh, they're fun. What have you got access to there in San Antonio? They got good ranges there. Like, what's the you know close by your house, or do you mainly shoot on private property, or uh, they got those one thousand yard ranges or longer in San Antonio, or how do you sort of train doing that? Well, that's the funny thing about Texas. Uh, Texas is one of the largest states in the United States, and uh, we actually don't have many thousand yard ranges. There's only two ranges in Texas uh, for F class. Um, so my dad is a, he's a manager for a, for a, for a cattle ranch and he's been doing that for a very long time. So they, they allowed me to build a thousand yard range there. So that's where I shoot wow. on private land. And I've been shooting there for the last 10 years, you know, so that's where I shoot. But, uh, as far as being able to go anywhere else, there's, there's really not much anywhere else that, uh, where I can go. It's, uh. You know, it's it's. A, I mean, there's a lot of places, that, uh, but it's all mainly private land. It's what it is. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think. In uh, I've been to Texas in such a large state, they wouldn't have, you know, access to those types of ranges. I mean, even I guess in Sydney, we've got access. I think to to one, you know. But again, you know, I guess the you know the firearms probably a bit different between here and the United States, and you know what what we've got access to and stuff like that. But yeah, you'd think in Texas they'd have you know, quite a lot of ranges that would be set up for, you know, that sort of long distance shooting. Right. Yeah. It's, it's surprising. Uh, now PRS, there's quite a few, there's quite a few ranges that, that you can see. PRS is a different animal in the sense that all you need is to just go set up a target anywhere, you know, you can, but F class, because of the nature of the sport, they need to build pits. They need to set up targets. And uh, so that requires a lot more infrastructure to have an F-class range. Uh, however, as you know, now they have electronic targets. 
So that's changing things in uh, in the sense of it's making things easier because you no longer have to have men down range or women <laughs> uh, down range. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, manning the targets. You know, now you can just simply have a uh, a uh, an electronic target, and uh, you know you don't have to build a protected berm. You simply just need a berm to catch the bullets. But uh, other than that, it's now it's becoming a lot simpler to uh, to shoot F class. But I think that's the main difference of why there's more PRS ranges than than F class ranges. Yep, and over here it seems to be the I don't know if it's the same over there, but. Over here in Australia, it seems the PRS, a lot of the younger guys are really flocking towards the PRS, whereas the F-Class guys in Australia, it's sort of the complete opposite. It's really a lot of the like, really older guys, you know, 55, 60-plus older guys that are you know, still doing the F-Class. We just don't have a lot of the young guys getting into, you know, the F-Class. They're, they're flocking towards the PRS, so... Um, you know, I think sort of when the older guys, you know, get a bit older and are not around anymore, it's going to be difficult to keep some of those F-class going in Australia because there's just not many people doing it. It seems they're all flocking to the PRS. Yeah. Um, you know, PRS is, is more dynamic. It's, it's, uh, it's more fun if, uh, if you're not super, I mean, PRS, you don't have to be as preoccupied with tiny groups, right? or consistency like F-Class. F-Class is more of a win-reading game, more of a hand-loading game. Um, and everything in, in F-Class, you, your equipment has to be perfect, right? Your handles have to be perfect. Whereas in PRS, I mean, you can show up with factory ammunition and uh, you can actually do pretty well, you know, because the targets are big. So it, I think PRS is a... a, a uh, I think the the reason a lot of younger guys flock to PRS is one they they kind of like the tactical look. You know what I mean? <laughs> they want to feel like like they want to feel like snipers for a day. Um, and number two, like I said, the the, uh, the uh, accuracy requirements are much much less than F class. You know, so but uh, I I think at least in the United States, uh, F class is still a pretty big sport and. Uh, I think it's just going to keep growing. Yeah. Just going back just a little bit, um, you know, I've been to America quite a number of times. I think about seven or eight. I've got some friends in in Texas as well, uh, Dallas, and I've traveled down to Waco, did a bit of dove hunting down there in Waco, which was fantastic. Uh, then I went down to, I was actually in San Antonio, probably in 2009, I went down to the Alamo and... Yeah, they've got some awesome Mexican food down there. I'm a big sucker for uh, Mexican food, Eric, that's for sure. Um, what's, it, what's it like living in Texas? I mean, we have Mexican food here as well, but, oh, man, it's just no good <laughs> compared to what you guys have over there. Oh, yeah, I mean, San Antonio. And, see, I travel a lot shooting, and uh, you just can't beat San Antonio for Mexican food, you know? San Antonio is as good as it gets. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of Mexican restaurants in San Antonio. And like you said, you know, you go downtown San Antonio, just they have some some of the best Mexican cuisine there. And uh, if you come to San Antonio for a week, you're going to gain weight. There's just no <laughs> way around it. 
I think it's gonna happen. I think I did anyway when I was uh, <laughs> over there. I just went around, tried all the the foods, and you know, just what a wonderful place. You know, I remember when I was down in the in uh, at the Alamo actually, and I was just sort of sitting out the front and had a good. Uh, I think one of the uh, local uh, police officers was just you know riding past on on one of his bikes and that, and you know he stopped and had a, it was just a bicycle, so he just stopped and man, I think we had about a forty five to an hour chat, just you know chatting about Australia and America and Texas and you know what a lovely guy mate what a lovely guy he was just you know he asked why I was there and yeah just yeah people are always so friendly there I've never had any trouble you know people are always willing to help and you know just what a fantastic state what do you like about living in 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 Texas well so pretty much what you just said everybody's friendly um you know they everybody says thank you people say you know uh they're always looking to help you out, you know, especially the shooting community. The shooting community, as you know, there's there's really good people in the world. Well, the shooting community, it's almost 100% of, of the best of the best are there. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter if I'm shooting S-Class or PRS or, or you know, I attended, recently I attended a three-gun competition just as, as a spectator. And, you know, the people are just so helpful to each other. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just incredible. But you know, Texas, Texas is just, it's just a fun, fun state. Uh, you know, I've been to other states, but Texas is just so diverse. You know, there, there's, there's, you know, so you want to, you want to. Plus, for hunting, you know, I can hunt whitetail. Here, we can hunt exotics. If you want to shoot hogs, there's plenty of hogs anywhere to shoot, and those you can shoot year round. There's no, there's no permit for those. Um, if you want to go fishing, you go to the Texas coast and you can go fishing. You know what I mean? So there's just all kinds of stuff to do in Texas. Plus the weather, uh, you know, it gets hot in summer, but in the winter, we don't really have a, we don't really have a winter, you know, it's, it's always, it's probably, it's probably our winter is probably about two weeks long and that's it, you know? So absolutely uh, everything. Everything's great. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. We're just going to go to a quick break, guys, and we'll be right back. Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers as flexible zero interest payment options including afterpay and zip pay order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836 Eric, you just touched on it there a bit too, and I, I get that when people always talk to me because I've been to the US a few times, and of course I'm no expert on it, but talking about Texas, and you just touched on it just a little bit just there, um, you know, what species can you hunt? If people do want to come to Texas, you said you've got hogs, which I've seen, I think you've I've seen on your <coughs> channel, uh, coyotes, um, there's fishing, what can they, and there's exotics, as you said, what can they sort of hunt over there? You can pretty much hunt anything in Texas. Uh you can hunt doves, you can hunt duck, geese. I mean, pretty much, Texas pretty much has everything. Um, they even have elk here in Texas. So, 
Um, and then you can go to West Texas and you can hunt pronghorn and, and, you know, speed goats, what they call them. Uh, so there's, there's just pretty much, there's some, there's a lot of species in Texas. Again, I'm not a big hunter anymore, but, uh, you know, you can also go to West Texas and hunt mule deer. And, uh, yeah. so there's, there's plenty to do in Texas. I mean, it's such a big state, you know, yeah. so you can hunt just about anything. I always keep saying it was my friend. I said, I just need to, you know, marry a senorita or something and get over to the States. But, oh, bloody Donald, I, I, I love Donald Trump, but the bastard won't give me a visa. So <laughs> to get over there, to live, you know, it'd be yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, I mean, it's like anything else, but it's, it's a, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's just a great place to live, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, talking about, I mean, other shooting disciplines, you said you like rifles and that. You said you did a pistols. Do you still do anything in the sort of pistol area or nah, mainly just uh, rifles or? Well, mainly rifles. Uh, as a matter of fact, just recently, I mean, I have, I don't shoot pistol much, but, uh, some of the PRS matches that I go to, they, they, uh, they include pistol just to kind of change things up a little bit. And, uh, that's always fun. But just recently, a, a friend of mine, uh, who has a, a pretty big YouTube channel called the uh, Demolition Ranch? Uh, yep. He uh, yep. he he challenged me to a pistol shoot, and uh, and we you know we pretty much had a I had a week to get ready, and uh, I reached out to Gary Mitchellak, which is probably the probably one of the best pistol shooters in the world, and uh, it just so so happened that he was in Texas, so I was able to go. To where he was at, he was shooting uh, the Texas State uh, Three Gun Championship. So I went over there, and uh, he spent about thirty minutes with me, giving me some pointers and and pretty much showing me how to shoot the gun fast and accurately, which was extremely helpful and it was a lot of fun. But uh, so I shot a lot of pistol about two weeks ago. <laughs> for a whole week, I shot pistol <laughs> every day, getting ready for this challenge that I had against uh, Matt from the Militia Ranch, but. Other than that, I don't shoot pistol much. It's uh, it's mainly rifle. Mate, that would have been a good call to have from Matt, wouldn't it? Um, you know, to come on Demolition Ranch, obviously a very very popular YouTube channel. Right. Yeah. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, he's a he's a really good guy. You know, it's uh, it's hard to judge people on on uh, you know on YouTube, but uh, you know, Matt, great guy. Jerry Mitchellack, my goodness amazing guy you know what i mean uh and like i said i i have yet to meet somebody who who in the you know in the gun industry that's not just very helpful very very down to earth you know yeah is there any getting back to disciplines as well i mean obviously prs f class is there is there anything else you want to try or you've sort of dabbled in that you're you're interested in or is it yeah i guess that probably those two things probably take up most of your time anyway yeah, they do. Uh, I mean, like I said, when I went to go see Jerry shoot three gun, that that looked like a lot of fun. You know, there's a lot of moving around, there's a lot of movement, a lot of fast shooting. Uh, that 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 got me interested a little bit, <laughs> but uh, I just I have this this uh, I, back to the reason I shoot uh, F classes. I'm very competitive, and uh, if I go shoot PRS, well, not PRS, but three gun. I just know that for one, I know I'm going to do really bad just because, you know, uh, I've never shot 
three gun, right? So I know I'm going to do, I'm not going to do well. And what that's going to make me do is I know for a fact, it's going to make me spend a lot of time trying to get better, which is time that I don't have. You know what I mean? I just, uh, so it's, it's, uh, so I'm just going to stick to PRS for now. Even PRS, I don't do much. I do, uh, I just do a little bit and, and PRS, I'm, I'm, I'm having a really hard time keeping it fun because that, that was the main purpose of me shooting PRS. I just wanted to have a way, uh, to, to go and shoot, but not put the pressure on myself like I do with F class. You know, yeah. I just wanted to have a way to go shoot, have fun, come back home and, uh, you know, just, just have fun where F class it's, high pressure i'm trying to get ready and everything has to be perfect and when i go shoot escalates i'm trying to win you know when i shoot prs i'm just trying to have fun yeah and some days in prs i i catch myself trying to trying to you know get ready to win and and i just know if i do that it's going to take all the fun out of it (laughs) (laughs) and it's going to suck you right into the prs sport that's for sure yeah, for sure. So I'm I'm being very careful with that. Uh, so having said that, I don't I don't really have time to to try three guns because I know what's going to happen. You know, it, it just looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> That's the thing. We've got all these things we want to do, but you know, I I, I think I read you work full time as well. I work full time, so we just don't have enough time in the day. I mean, I wish I didn't have to work. Wish they just pay me to stay home, but <laughs> unfortunately, that just doesn't happen. You know. Yeah, it does not happen. Uh, not yet. <laughs> no, exactly. Not yet. Um, mate, um, tell us about, I mean, you've got the, the website here, and, and we're just, I'm just looking at it whilst we're talking as well, and you sell barrel tuners. I mean, a lot of people, I guess this is probably very foreign to um, people in Australia. I mean, I know I've seen guys with, if I'm correct, barrel tuners that sort of slide over their barrel, but what is the benefit of a barrel tuner? How does it work, and, and what can one sort of expect from, from a barrel tuner? So a barrel tuner uh, will adjust the harmonics of your barrel. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to line up the harmonics of the barrel with the ammunition that in your rifle. Typically, we adjust the ammunition of the rifle to work with the barrel as good as possible. With a tuner, you adjust the barrel to the ammunition. See, it's backwards. You know what I mean? So, for example, uh, let's just say you have two rifles, okay? Yep. And you have your main rifle and you have your backup rifle. And they both shoot different ammunition. Well, that means if you're going to go to a shooting match that requires 500 rounds and then you want to take your backup rifle, now you have to load 1,000 rounds, okay? Because they shoot different ammunition. With a barrel tuner, you can load the ammunition for your main rifle. And then on your backup rifle, you shoot the same ammunition, but then you can adjust the tuner to make that ammunition shoot really good on your backup rifle as well. And now you can use the same ammunition for both rifles. So having said that, a tuner is really good also to shrink your groups if you're shooting factory ammunition because you can't you can't adjust factory ammunition. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. You can <clears throat> now the other thing that uh that a barrel tuner would do, it will 
it will line up the harmonics as good as possible. So if you have a rifle that shoots, I don't know, half a moi, okay, and and it just shoots half a moi, well, you can put a barrel tuner on there, and it's possible that you can get those groups even smaller just because you can line up the harmonics as good as possible. It's a, it's a fine-tuning device, right? So you can actually get your groups cut in half or even better with a barrel tuner. So they don't, it's not only for, for, uh, you know, you can take your best gun and and make it better. Uh, most of the time, you know, there's, there's the rare occasion where, where you just have to happen to get the gun as, as good as possible without a barrel tuner. But most of the time a barrel tuner will make even your best gun shoot better. When you're, when you're doing that as well, let's say you develop a low, but let's say, uh, you you grab grab a bullet selection of your choice, and then you load a powder into it. Do you have to find that node first, or do you just load up your whatever you know, maybe a higher end powder charge load, and then tune the tuner from there, or do you have to still find roughly where that node is, and then go from there, or just the first one you load, then barrel tune, and it should be good to go? How does it actually work? Well, you can do you can do any any uh, combination obviously for f-class i develop a, a load as if i had no tuner and then so for f-class i do my powder charge then i do my sitting depth test and then lastly i do my tuner test okay and then i just make sure that every single one of those is as good as it can be okay uh for prs sometimes i just load a charge that worked on my last barrel I load that charge and then I adjust the tuner and I just go shoot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the, the requirements of PRS are much less. So oftentimes I just adjust the tuner and, and go, you know? So like I said, it depends what, what you're trying to do for, uh, for PRS. Most of the time you can simply just adjust the tuner and you'll be good to go. When you, when you're doing, Let's say let, let's do both. Actually, let's say F class and PRS. What would you know? What do you consider to be you know a good group like to be able to shoot F class? And the same goes for PRS. What's what do you see is acceptable for say a powder charge and a certain type of bullet? You know, under one inch, half an inch. What do you see as being sort of that acceptable you know point to to use in a in a match? So for PRS, half inch or less is perfect. It, it, it's going to be fine as long as it's consistent, you know, if you can shoot 10 shot groups and they're all under half an inch, you know, the group, you're fine. You're going to do well. You're not going to have a problem. Most targets in PRS are one MOA to uh, two MOA. So you're going to be fine. In S class, I'm looking for a quarter inch or less consistently, you know, uh, I prefer to be in the ones, what we call in the ones, uh, you know, point one something, point one zero zero to one to uh, point one nine nine. You know, I'm I'm trying to be in the ones, if at all possible. To me, that's that's a uh, that's a gun that can win F class. Uh, you can have a half inch gun for F class, but you're not going to do much winning. And uh, typically, <laughs> if I have a if you have if I have a barrel that shoots half an inch and that's left at a hundred yards, I, I pull it off. It's 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 gone, you know. But uh, 
for PRS is perfectly fine. It's, it's crazy the differences, isn't it, between, you know, F-Class and other ones where, you know, I'd probably be, you know, I've got a couple of, of rifles that I, you know, shoot sort of long range with, you know, just sometimes a bit of plinking on a steel gong or, you know, we've got some rabbits over here. I like to shoot them at long range when I'm hunting, you know. I mean, long range, anything from two to 500 metres sort of is my sort of medium range type of thing for those small varmint type animals. But uh, it's crazy. I'm pretty happy with a <laughs> with a half-inch uh, gun, you know. I mean, I don't have the really expensive guns. I just buy off-the-shelf. Uh, I think you've got them over there. I buy, like, off-the-shelf uh, Ticker T3Xs and, you know, find a try and find a good load for them with a with a good bullet and hope for the best but you know it's interesting because even some of the off-the-shelf stuff that i've reloaded for i don't think i've ever had to change a bullet or a powder if i grab this bullet and this powder that i know works in it and i put them together i sort of always find a node that at least shoots at least minimum half an inch group right yeah and, uh... I think half-inch groups are fairly easy to get nowadays. You know, the, uh, the factory rifles are very good. Uh, components are very good. And there's just a lot more information out there uh, that allows you to uh, to get those types of groups. You know, like, for example, you know, my YouTube channel, uh, I talk about reloading. and, and uh, uh, But I talk about I, – I take a different approach because I – I don't take a, oh, here's this load and this powder and put it together and it's going to work. No, I'm teaching you how to come up with 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 a load. You know what I mean? And yep. uh, there's just so much out there that, that people are, are chasing that 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 is really not needed to, needed to be chased. So I teach people to think critically and, and think logically and come up with a solution for themselves. And uh, And I think that's why a lot of people like my channel because it uh, it just takes common sense, and then then they can come up with something on their own. You know, they don't have to go, you know, asking people for loads, which which is very dangerous, by the way. You know, people, you know, ask somebody, hey, what load, what load are you shooting? And then they tell them that load, and then they go try it on the rifle, and you know, uh, everything has a variance. Powder has tolerances, uh, bullets have tolerances, chambers, everything, and if you stack all those together. You could potentially blow up your rifle or your face by taking somebody else's recommendation on on a powder load. So, you know, it's very dangerous to to just take somebody else's load and shoot it in your rifle. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Every time I someone asks me, I say, listen, you know, go on the internet, check that, you know, check the powder manufacturer's website. You know, don't rely on me. I always give that disclaimer. I don't really like to tell people. Like sometimes I will, but I say. On in the bottom under that, if it's a text message in capital letters, check website, check accuracy. Do not load unless check website. You know because yeah, you yeah. know if so, people do something stupid, you know it's on them. I've told them don't rely on me. Check the manual. Check the updated manual to make sure it's correct. Correct. Yeah. So, so that's kind of what I do with my YouTube channel. I I tell people just you know hey, you know this is not magic. This is simple stuff. Uh, you just have to be careful and you have to be diligent and you have to pay attention. And if you can do all those things, you'll be fine. You know, you, you'll be able to come up with a half inch load pretty easy, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Mate, we're going to talk a bit more about reloading just after the break. So we'll go to a break and we'll be right back.
Gunkeeper has been developed by the National Shooting Council to help gun clubs with cash grants to help them keep members and keep their doors open. It also helps gun dealers and other shooting businesses attract and keep customers with incentives. If you run a gun club or gun business, make sure you put your hand up for Gunkeeper today. For more information, go to the National Shooting Council's website at nationalshooting.org.au. Eric, I want to talk about something you just brought up just before the ad, actually. You know, and we'll talk about a bit about factory rifles and, and, and building a rifle. I mean, these days, is it, I mean, obviously for F-Class, I'd say it would be. Is there a huge difference between, say, pulling an off-the-shelf rifle and shooting that than, say, you know, getting a, a custom rifle built in, you know, 2020? Yes, there's still a big difference. I mean, well, you know, it, it's 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 like everything else, right? So, so factory rifles are much better than they were ten years ago, but so are the custom rifles. You know, <laughs> that, that that gap has not shrunk. Uh, custom rifles are still going to be, and it's not. So, for example, you know, and people that they make this huge mistake. They go, well, you know. For example, it's like, well, how good does your custom rifle shoot? It's like, well, you know, half a moi, you know, kind of like I've been talking about, you know, half half inch, half a moi. And there'll be a lot of people who say, oh, my, my Tika can do three-eighths of an inch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the difference is that my custom rifle would do that consistently, you know? And typically the three-eighths uh, factory rifle We'll do that every now and then. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So over the over the life of the barrel, if you were to measure every single group shot by both rifles, the custom rifle will ag. You know, the aggregate of of the size of the groups is going to be smaller for the life of the barrel. So it's more consistent. That's the difference. Okay, uh, it's also going to function better. It's going to be smoother, and it's going to have it's obviously going to have features that that the factory rifle is not going to have, you know. So that's the difference between a custom. A custom rifle is going to be a rifle that's going to fit you better. That in itself is going to make it's going to make you a better shooter, you know. Yep. It's uh, it's like you know, it's like like shoes for a runner, you know. It's it's if you get some really good shoes, they're they're just gonna they're just going to help better. Uh, they're going to help you run better, run longer, just because they're not going to hurt your feet. You know, same thing with a rifle. If you have a rifle that fits you, that is made the way you want it, and uh, it's gonna it's gonna make you shoot better. And if anything in your head, you're going to think that you're going to be shooting better. Therefore, you will shoot better. Yeah. What about um, barrels? I mean, you know, there's obviously a lot of barrel manufacturers, uh, you know, all across the world. So there's, you know, many different makes and models of barrels. People are making some fantastic barrels. How much does that make a difference? Obviously, is that a, a big part of, you know, building a rifle, having a, a really good barrel, like a proven barrel? Well, yeah, the barrels is the biggest part. Uh, you know, I I use Brooks barrels. They're a, they are a cut rifling barrel. Um, I prefer cut rifle barrels. They, to me, they are the most consistent and, uh, they're just going to give you the best results. So Brooks barrels is what I use. Uh, but you know, you can use Brooks, Krieger or Bartline, any of those three, you're going to have really good results. 
Okay. Uh, the others, there's a lot of other barrels that, that will do very well, but back to the consistency, you know, I have never had a bad drugs barrel. Every single barrel that I've had shoots extremely well. You know what I mean? Yep. It's, it's, I can expect that consistency. I just know that I'm going to get a barrel. I'm going to chamber it because I do all my own gunsmithing. I'm going to chamber it. I'm going to set the headspace exactly like the last barrel. And I can, I can expect that barrel to shoot as good or better than the last one. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be very easy. Mm, exactly. And, and talking about the main part here, which I find um, is a good part to talk about, is reloading. Uh, how does that affect accuracy compared to, you know, factory ammunition? And we'll get started on a bit of uh, discussion on some reloading. Well, reloading is, is really going to make the biggest difference in, uh, in anything else because uh, – and it's back to the custom – components right you, you can you can assemble any any variation of components that will suit your needs right so for example you know you you want to unload that's going to perform very well uh for you day in day out well you may have to adjust your seating depth you know you may have to uh adjust your powder charge there's there's many things that you can possibly do for the life of the barrel to keep that barrel shooting as good as possible if you only shoot this, for example, factory ammunition, uh, see that barrel is never the same barrel. It's wearing out every time you shoot it. Okay. So factory ammunition may work really well at the beginning, but towards the end, it may not work as good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, uh, that's where, uh, where reloading really helps maintain that level of consistency. See, it, it's all about consistency, right? So if you can maintain that level of consistency for the life of the barrel, you're going to have a much better experience with a rifle. You're going to, you're going to, it's going to, it's going to turn you into a better shooter because you're going to spend more time shooting and less time wondering why, <laughs> why the gun is shooting bad now, you know? <laughs> uh, and that's the thing. There's so many shooting. There's so many variables, isn't there? You know that come down to is the is the is the barrel dirty? Is there too much copper? Have I done something wrong? Have I not been doing this? Have I not been doing that? There's so many variables. Correct. So that's that's what a uh, that's the big difference in a uh, in a uh, you know custom barrel, custom rifle, and custom ammunition. You know you control every variable. Which is, uh, if you get to a point where, that you know what you're doing, then you know you're going to be able to you're going to be able to beat the guy that's shooting factory ammunition. You know, like I said, it, it, you may not beat him one day, but for the you know for an entire season, you have a better chance of beating that person, just because you can control all the all the uh, all the uh, variables. Absolutely. Okay? So. Yeah, I was going to say when uh, you know when people are fighting, let's say they go, they've got their gun, they're going out in the field or they're going to the range, and they want to you know obviously find that reloading node for for accuracy. I mean, you know, I normally go out there and say I try maybe a half grain powder, so I might go you know 40, 40.5, 41. 
when people are trying to find that note or trying to find that, what's the best way to do that? Should they go up in 0.5s? Is it 0.2s? Is it 0.1s? Should they go up in one grain increments? What should they do? Well, it depends on the size of the of the case, right? So if uh, if the case is, for example, like a uh, 6.5 by 47 Lapua, I usually go up in like 0.3 grain increments, okay? Yep. Uh, if it's like a 6BR, uh, I do the same, about 0.3. But if, if we're talking about a big magnum, like a 28 nozzler or something, uh, I would go up in 0.5 grain in those. It's, it's, it's about a percentage of the total capacity, right? Uh, so it depends on the size of the case. And, uh, and so what I do is I don't, whenever I'm shooting powder charge, I'm not looking for groups. I'm looking for, I'm trying to find a powder charge that's consistent. Okay. And this is what I believe makes a lot of shooters or a lot of reloaders chase their tail. Okay. Because they go shoot for powder charge, but they are looking at the paper trying to see if it groups, right? When you're looking for powder charge, all you're looking for is a consistent powder charge. Okay. Something that, that gives you the best ignition possible, the most consistent you know, we're back to consistency here, right? You're looking for the most consistency, okay? So, for example, when I when I shoot powder charges, I don't even shoot at paper. I I, I shoot at the berm. I don't I don't worry about shooting at paper because I'm not I'm not worried about groups at that point, okay? Yeah. So I yep. just shoot over I shoot over a chronograph, and then I just go look at my chronograph data and I select the powder charge. They gave me the, the, the lowest extreme spread on the chronograph. And, uh, and then I'm looking for, for a, uh, for a place in my, in my speed where whenever I change from one powder charge to the next one up and the next one up, that the speed didn't change very much. Right. So I'm looking for the place where it's obvious that the powder charge and primer and bullet and chamber neck tension, that everything is coming together. And giving me the most consistent uh, load possible. Okay, whenever I find that window, which we call a node, I just load to the middle of the node. Okay, and then that's when I move and do my seating depth test. I load up again at that powder charge that I found to be the most consistent. I load right to the middle. Then I go and do my seating depth test. Seating that test is when I'm looking at groups. That's when we're going to shoot at paper and we're going to shoot the seating that test until they shoot as, as small as group as possible. And now when you're done, now you have a load that has a low ES and also has low groups or small groups, right? So now you have the best of both worlds. You have a load that's going to work very well for you in different temperatures because you have a room for error because we loaded right to the middle of that powder node, right? So now you can go up and down from there and uh, and you're going to be fine. If you have different temperatures or, or temperature swings, you're going to be fine because you're inside of that big node, okay? Uh, sometimes, depending on how much you have to move your bullet during your seating depth test, it will affect your uh, 
your uh, your extreme spread, right? But once you find the, the seating depth that shoots as small as possible, then you can go up and down on your powder charts now, you know, about 0.3. You can go about one about 0.9 grains on each side of, let's just say, okay, let's just say we selected uh, 40, 40 grains, okay? Yep. And that's when we went, we went to go, we, we selected 40 grains, we did our seating depth test. Now we found what shoots the best, but now our, uh, our extreme spread used to be at five, now it's at 12, okay? Well, now you can try. Now we have a seating depth test. I mean, we have a, a, the seating depth that we like that shoots the smallest groups. Well, then now you can shoot at paper, you can shoot 40.3, 40.6, 40.9, and then you can go the other way as well and shoot. 39.7, 39.4, and 39.1. And now, you know, now you're keeping an eye on those groups that they don't get any bigger, but you're also looking for just to see if there's any any place moving up and down slightly to see if, uh, if you can line them up a little better to where the ES is smaller, but yet the groups didn't get any bigger, you know? Yep. And once you find that, that sweet spot, you're, you're done, you know? And now you have the most, now you're going to have the most reliable, most consistent load that you can have. That's good. It's good, isn't it? It's like totally different than what most people are doing, actually, including <laughs> including myself, actually. So it's good to hear a different perspective on um, on that because a lot of people definitely aren't doing that. I mean, most people are turning up to the range, including myself, going, well, I've got this load at, you know, whatever it is. I mean, I'm just doing one right now for a, uh, a 300 Winchester Magnum and, you know, 77.5, uh, 78, 78.5, 79. And, you know, and just testing that to see how that goes whilst on the chronograph as well. But, yeah, I mean, hey, I might give that a go and I'll, I can let you know how it goes. <laughs> well, here, here's, here's something that, uh, that you know, seating depth is extremely powerful, okay? Seating depth will tune any load. This is what people don't understand. Seating depth will tune any load, Okay. Yeah. So just like it'll tune your 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 really good load, it also tune your really bad load. That's why there are so many people. You can you can look online. You can, there's so many people saying, "I don't know what to do because my best my load that shoots the smallest groups has the biggest extreme spread." Well, that's because what they did is they found the seating depth, but they did not find they they're not lined up. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So yep. you can take, here's what I'm talking about. You can take your best load, okay, and then just go do a, a, a seating depth test. Those groups are going to get really big, and they're going to get really small, really small, right? So if you just happen to have, you know, your best load, if you just happen to find the the wrong seating depth, then you're going to have a really big group, you know. You can change powder a lot. And it's not going to change your group that much, but you can change seating depth, and it can drastically change your group sizes. So, yeah. what I'm saying is, you can tune any load with seating depth. Okay, so, obviously some will tune better than others, some will get smaller than others, but any load will be tuned. And just like the groups can, can be made smaller, they can also be made bigger. So that's why you have to do the full test. Uh, and uh, you know, a lot of people, you you go online back to the you know, they're like, oh, you know, these bullets prefer to be 20,000 off the lance. Oh, no, these bullets prefer to be 50,000. The bullet doesn't know where it's at. 
Okay. And we don't have, all we have is comparators. We don't have gauges. So even if I'm measuring 20,000 off the land, and even though you have the exact same thing, you may be at a different place just because the, the gate or that's why they're not called gauges. They're called comparators. Cause they're not, they're not the same. You and I can both measure the exact same round and we're going to get different dimensions. So that's why I don't like that whole, you know, where are you seeing the bullets off the lands? Well, that's, that's already a disaster for, or it's a recipe for disaster in the sense that you're not going to, you're going to, you're setting yourself up for chasing your tail because you're getting information from, uh, from somebody who's using a different comparator to measure something that by the time you measure it, it's going to be totally different. It's just crazy, isn't it? How Pete, uh, I mean, I never even thought that normally I go into the manual and it's good. This is exactly why I wanted to talk to you that when I go in the manual, like I'm shooting a uh, 260 Remington, I think it's two, 2.810, of, you know, 2.810. And I just load it to that. And I think I've got an extreme spread of 10 and it shoots well and it's, it's a half inch group. So it's interesting that I never even thought about um, changing seating depth and that would have a huge such a huge bearing i don't think a lot of people at least that haven't done their research like me because i'm not a reloading expert of course that you'd think that that wouldn't have a huge bearing but i didn't realize such an emphasis on um seating depth had such a big uh, uh impact on your on your reloads yeah yeah if you gave me a choice and you said look eric you can only change one thing either powder or seating depth i would pick seating depth you know and most people would pick powder yeah. But see, powder, like I said, powder doesn't have as big an impact on a load as, as uh, seating depth does. Uh, so, you know, you just, and, and see, everybody always focuses on powder. And, uh, and, and then you have to take into account what you're going to use the load for, okay? So, for example, if you have, if you're going to go hunting and you know you're never going to shoot more than 100 meters. Okay, it really doesn't matter what your ES is. Just load, and, and let's just say you're looking for the maximum energy. Well, then load a load that's going to be towards the, the top of the pressure curve. You know, obviously you still want to be safe, but you want to load a, a load that's going to give you a uh, very good speed. You know, for that cartridge. You know, you want to be at the at the upper end of that cartridge, and then don't worry about the ES. Just adjust your seating depth until you have a good group, and that's it. You don't need to worry about ES. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yep. But but I'm shooting long range. I need to worry about both, right? I need to worry about ES, and I need to worry about about uh, accuracy, right? But like I said, if you're only shooting, I mean, even 500 yards, ES is really not going to make that big of a difference. I mean, unless it's horrific ES, right? But you can uh, sitting that can can. See, seating depth can even tune. <laughs> seating depth can even tune a high yes load to shoot well. So <laughs> the point is, seating depth is extremely, extremely powerful, and most people overlook seating depth. Mate, absolutely. I don't think I've spoken to at least I'm not in F class or anything like that. But yeah, I don't know anyone that's talked about, or at least that I've you know discussed it with or anything about how 
powerful you know seeding depth can actually be i just just it's yeah definitely you're 100 correct i mean you know i guess you're in the know you're doing that a lot and you've done all the experience to know what you know how much of an impact that uh, that has but yeah it's never never come up onto my list as something that um you know, I normally start from just that load from the book, that seeding depth, which is probably what Sammy spec or whatever it may be, and I just right. I, go, I go from there, and and it's and most of the time it's been successful, but you don't realise how much better or maybe the averages of how good those groups can be by adjusting seeding depth. Yeah, it just blows my mind. It's that's something I'm definitely going to look at when I do these new loads on the 300 win meg. Yeah, you know, I did a video on my YouTube channel uh, about six or eight weeks ago where I said, you know, uh, quit chasing your lands. Cause that's another thing that a lot of people do as the barrel erodes, they move the bullet forward to maintain that relationship, that one-to-one relationship. Well, it's not that simple. Oftentimes the majority of the time, the barrel doesn't move or the, the, the barrel and the seating or your node, they don't move in a one-to-one relationship. Okay. And what, what ends up happening is people will go and move their bullet out uh, thinking they're going to stay in the node. And what they what ends up happening is they take themselves out of the node and then the gun quits shooting. And, and because they have this mentality that as long as you maintain a one-to-one relationship, then the gun's going to shoot well. When the gun quits shooting, they, they automatically assume something else happened. But in reality, what happened is they took they took the rifle out of the node by moving the bullet out. Okay, uh, here's another example, and you may have heard this one. People say, "Well, my gun, I could not get it to shoot until I had about 300 rounds through it or 400 rounds through it, and all of a sudden it just it just came into it, its own." Well, I think what ends up happening is they had the wrong seating depth to begin with. And as the barrel eroded, it fell into the correct seating deck. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then, and that's when the rifle started shooting. And they just think it's, it was magic, you know. But uh, <laughs> but no, you know, it's it's uh, oftentimes they you know they have the wrong the wrong seating deck, and then uh, the bullet, you know, the 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 barrel just got there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and all of a sudden they they just you know they're thankful for it, but they don't know why it happened. I want to talk about one thing. Just you mentioned before, I've just been writing down a few uh, few things here. When you, like you said, when you shoot into the berm, you're just testing for obviously extreme spread and speeds. How many how many loads would you normally you know shoot to get that data? Is it three, five, ten? So you know how that you know that extreme spread of that load. So you know that's a you know that's at least for speed and the extreme spread is good. How many will you know, how many rounds will you shoot to to know if that's going to be good or like a five, ten? What would it be? Well, originally on my on my initial test, I just do one shot per charge. Okay, so I just go really fast, and uh, I do. So what I do is I'll test, uh, for example, ten shots. That's going to cover three grains of powder. Okay, because I go I go in point three increments. Okay, and what I'll do is I'll use different primers. I'll do one test with one primer, and then I'll do another test with a different primer. Okay. And then I'll shoot both. That's only 20 shots. When I'm done, I'll look at see which primer gave me the best, the best, you know, the best consistency. And then that's 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 how I select primer and powder charge. 
I mean, it only takes 20 shots. If you have another primer that you want to try, well, then load another 10. So now it's 30 shots. You know what I mean? And uh, and I know what a lot of people are going to say. We say, well, that's only one shot. Well, it's not one shot. It's 10 shots, right? You're looking at the entire correlation from one shot to the next, to the next, to the next, right? So you're yeah. looking, you're actually doing 10 shots. They just happen to be, so it, it, essentially it's, it's a powder ladder test in a way. You know what I mean? But how do you, I guess my question was, how do you, how do you test that? Like, don't you have to shoot, like, let's say you got one powder chart. Let's say you said, just say it's 40 grains. Will you load up five to 10 of those to make sure that particular powder charge will, even if you're just shooting into the berm saying, well, oh, great. Well, no, I'll, no, no, no. You're falling, you're, you're again falling into the. <laughs> <laughs> I'm falling into the trap. <laughs> and this is exactly, and this is, this is why I have a hard time because you guys, I say you guys, it's pretty much everybody has already been wired that, that, that powder is so important. So what I do is I go shoot typically 20 shots because I do two different primers, right? And uh, let's just say one, one 10 shot string had a really flat spot at 40 grains, okay? From, let's just say from 39.6 to 40.4, it had a really flat spot, right? So I'll select 40 grains, okay? That's it. I don't, uh, now I go and do my seating depth. Okay. When I do yeah. my seating depth test, I'm going to shoot 30 or 40 shots now at that one powder charge. Okay. Got Yeah. Yep. Okay. Remember, seating depth will tune any load. Okay. Yep. And whenever I'm done with my seating depth test and I find the smallest, you know, the seating depth is also going to give you a node. Okay. So once I find my node on my seating depth, that's why that's when we go back and test powder again with this new seating depth and we go up and down from there and now now you can shoot five shot groups okay and now you're going to be able to go if it's a hunting rifle i would only do three shots you know you don't you don't need to do five but if it's a target rifle i would do five shot groups and that's when you shoot your 40 you shoot your 40.3 40.6 and then you go the other way as well you know 39.7 39.4 so you shoot, let's just say from 39.4 to 40.6, right? That's going to outline the best powder charts with that seating depth. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, That's when you, you know, finally yeah. bring it back together. Yeah. That's when you finally bring it back together. Uh, whenever you, after you have done your seating depth test, okay? But uh, once that comes together, I mean, you you'll be... And see, here's another thing that I I don't go for the smallest group. I go for the most consistent group. Of course, the group still has to it has to meet my requirements. But oftentimes, people will have a group that, for example, is let's just call it 0.1 inches. Okay, yep. but the powder charge on each side of it, the groups are 0.5. On both sides of it, if you move it up or down a little bit, the groups get really big, okay? Or I would rather have the load that shoots 0.2 inches, but when I move up and down on my powder charge on both sides of it, they stay at 0.2. You know what I mean? Well, that gives me a lot more consistency and gives me a much wider uh, window that my gun is going to stay consistent, okay? So I will take a 0.2 group that is consistent over a 0.1 group that, you know, will throw flyers, you know? Yeah. So be ahead. very careful with, with falling in love with that tiny group. 
that is surrounded by really big groups in your testing. Yeah, exactly. And most people, when they're even reloading, they always just go for the the smallest group. And as you said, it's fine when it's hunting, but if you're shooting at further distances, that obviously becomes a, a major problem, especially, you said, over 500 yards. Yeah, and like I said, you're not just looking, whenever you're doing a reloading, or whenever I do reloading, I'm not looking just at that one group. I look at that one group, but I also look at the surrounding groups. And that's going to tell me the full story as to how that load is going to perform, you know? So, you know, even if you're doing a five-shot group or even a three-shot group, you're not doing three shots. It's not a three-shot group. It's it's part of a larger sequence. So, uh, for example, I'll I'll shoot from, uh, like like we said in our example, from uh, 49.4 to, I'm sorry, 39.4 to 39.4. I'm sorry, let me let me get this straight. So from 39.4 to 40.6, okay, you're not just shooting three-shot groups. You're doing a full sequence. Whenever you're done, you'll be able to see, you know, you're shooting 39.4, uh, 39.7, 40, 40.3, and 40.6. You shot five groups at three shots each. That's 15 shots. Okay, so that's a 15-shot sequence that you are looking at all the groups, not just one. Don't think of the groups as individual groups. They are part of the bigger picture. And if you look at the bigger picture, then you can see what's going on. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Mate, just, uh, interesting thing, like what are the top two or three things, myths? I mean, we spoke, I guess, about a little of them just there as well, but surrounding reloading. Uh, I know this one you talked about. I watched the video on um, you know, neck sizing versus full-length resizing. You know, I think in one of your videos you were you were talking about how you copped a bit of, <laughs> a bit of shit from people on the internet. So um, tell us about that one. How does that make a difference? And you were talking about F-class shooters and, and full-length resizing and why why basically not to do uh, neck resizing? So neck sizing, the myth is that your brass is fire formed and that it is a mirror image of your chamber, which is going to be the most consistent that you can possibly be, right? The problem is that it's not true. The reason for that is every time you fire that brass, it springs back. Okay. Every time it's, but see, it springs back. Let's just, let's just come up with a number system. Let's just say 10, right? Let's just say 10 is, is, uh, is the full case, right? Well, and, and the case is at zero. Okay. When you fire the first time, it's going to go to 10, but then it's going to spring back to three, for example. Okay. Yep. And then you're not, all you're going to do is next size it. So you just next size it. And then you shoot it again. Well, it expands to 10, but because now you started at three, now it springs back to six, right? So now that case is, well, the first time you fired it was a zero. The second time you fired it was a three. Now it's a six, right? It's not consistent. It, it's springing back less and less every time, right? And then you shoot it again, now at six, and now it springs back to nine, right? So now it's really tight in that chamber. The next time you fire it, it springs, it expands to 10 
And now it, it has no place to shrink back, right? So now you start having extraction issues, okay? Yeah. But here's the big one. Here's the big one. Next time you fire it, it's going to spring back to 10. And there's really no spring back anymore because the, the brass is hard now. And, and, and really, once you put it in there, it was already tight. It was, a, it was snug. And then, and then when you fired it, and then when you, when you, uh, when you extract it, now it actually expands, right? It, it can't contract. It can't shrink back anymore because it was already there. And now it's expanding. So you take it out. And now the next time you try to put it in, it won't fit in the chamber anymore. Okay. And you have to think that every time you fire the rifle, the chamber itself expands to some degree, right? But the point is that brass, whenever you next size, it is never the same size. And you can see, you can hear all these arguments that they say, well, I, I next size and I just have to full length size every third firing or every fourth firing. Well, if you ever have to full length size, that tells you that brass is never the same size, okay? Now, when you full in size, right? Let's go back to our to our example of starting at zero. So your virgin brass is zero. You fire it. It goes to ten. Comes back to three, right? And then you 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 check it in your rifle. Oh, it's still chambers. Okay. Well, now you full in size it. Okay. But just make sure you don't push the shoulder back. You leave it at three. Okay. But you still want to size the body. Okay. The body you always want to size because that's that's the, that's what's going to expand to the point that it's going to give you problems. Okay, so you shoot it again, and now I went from three to uh, to ten, and it shrinks back to six. Okay, and then you find that that's really where you want to where you want to keep it, right? So you fully size it, and your shoulders at six, right? You fire it again, it, you know it goes up to ten and shrinks back to eight. Right. Well, then you run into your full length icing guy and you bump it, you bump it back to six again. Right. And then you fire it again. It goes up to eight and you bump it back to six. So now you're always shooting brass that's at six every time. Well, now that's consistent. Right. You're always shooting brass that's at six, always for the life of the barrel. Okay. Uh, you don't want to shoot brass that's at zero because then all that expansion and contraction is going to cause your brass to fail at the base because uh, it's going to start getting thinner and thinner every time, right? But if you, if you bring in the brass back minimally, which I, I recommend about two thousandths of an inch, two one thousandths of an inch, uh, you're not going to have issues. You're going to be able to work your bolt flawlessly. It's it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be hard to chamber. It's not going to be hard to extract. But overall, you're going to have consistent ammo, which is the myth behind neck sizing is that it is consistent. Well, it, it actually is not. It's, it's the most inconsistent <laughs> because <laughs> the brass is different size every time you fire it. Yeah, very good. Mate, we've got about three or four questions maybe to finish off, so we'll just go to one last break, mate. We'll be right back and we'll finish off. Renowned for their strength, reliability, and attention to detail, Moroku shotguns are the perfect example of what a sporting shotgun should be. Moroku have been producing quality products for over a century and sold in Australia since 1963. Each Moroku shotgun is crafted with precision, from the MK Trap and sporting models to the all-round best-selling field shotgun, the MK70. Visit morokushotguns.com.au for more details and stockists. 
Eric, I want to talk about something that I was just writing down while you were talking, actually, and talking about brass getting hard. Is um, annealing worth it, like to anneal the brass, or is it not worth it at all? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's back to consistency, right? Like, for an hour, I'm, I've been talking about nothing but consistency, right? Yep. That's the name of the game. If you can keep everything the same, you will never have an issue, right? Because uh, whenever you, for example, you develop the load, right? And it shot great. Well, you want to keep everything the same forever, right? Or as long as possible. Because the barrel, you cannot keep it the same. It's going to burn out. But your brass, the things that you can control, you should keep them the same. So, yes, annealing, I do annealing every time. Every time I trim my brass, every time I keep it the exact same length, every time. Uh, so, yeah, I, I control the variables that I can and I keep them exactly the same for the life of the barrel. Yeah. What about, um, is there anything, differences in the quality of chronographs? Is there any recommended ones that you think would be worth buying or um, how does that normally work? Yes, uh, obviously, it's like anything else. Uh, there's some good ones and there's some, they're all good, right? Because they all do what they're supposed to do, which is read the bullet speed, but some are just more accurate and reliable than others. So for example, I, I like, the two top chronographs are the magneto speed and the uh, lab radar. Okay, I prefer the lab radar because I don't have to attach it to my barrel. Because as we discussed earlier about uh, barrel tuners, anything that it touches the barrel is going to affect the harmonics. So if you tune your load with the magneto speed attached. You know, and back to consistency, <laughs> if the first thing that you do after you're done developing a load is change something, which is now you're removing the chronograph on your barrel, you immediately change something. So all the testing that you just did is no longer valid because you now you change something. So that's why, I mean, you can have a magneto speed uh, that does not attach to the barrel. There's some, uh, there's some companies that make different... Uh, different ways that, that you don't have to attach it to the rifle or, you know, I use a lab radar just because it sits up next to the rifle. It never touches the barrel. And, uh, but those two are the most, uh, reliable that I have, that I have found. You know, that's good. Uh, what about talking, uh, seating? Uh, no, sorry. We already spoke about seating. I should say bullets. I should say, I just was on the wrong question there on my questions, but, um, quality of bullets. Um, interestingly enough, I was just talking to a friend just a few days ago and he's just bought a, uh, it's probably a couple of weeks ago. He's had the 6.5 PRC. So he's been using some, some loads and in, you know, the bullets basically he couldn't understand why they were basically tumbling out of the barrel. But I think some of these bullets, you know, they're not, they weren't developed for a 6.5 PRC. So anything over about 3,000 feet a second, some of these bullets were literally just exploding when they were coming outside the barrel. So uh, how does selecting a bullet make a big difference? Not only for long-range shooting, is it good to buy you know good quality, proven bullets? Well, nothing matters. So there's, there's something called the rule of the last mile, okay? Nothing matters doesn't matter how good your rifle it doesn't matter how expensive your rifle is doesn't matter how expensive your scope is nothing matters if you can't put the bullet on target okay so the bullet is obviously all this that we're doing is just so that we can get the bullet to the place that we intend to so bullets is 
one of the most important things of the entire equation. You know what I mean? So there's the, something that we call the three Bs. It's barrels, bullets, and brass. Those are the three most important things that you can have. And uh, obviously, I shoot Lapool brass, I shoot Burger bullets, and I shoot uh, Brooks barrels. You know, to me, they're they're as good as they come. So that's what I do. But yeah, uh, bullets obviously are extremely important because, like I said, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters if you cannot get the bullet to the target. And like your friend, you know, he can have the best of everything, but if the bullet blows up the, the minute it leaves the barrel, I mean, everything else was for nothing. Yeah, exactly. As I said, I think we've been talking a lot of people. have been on a few you know, forums trying to find out what the situation is, but... You know, I guess over 3,000, you know, these new calibers, especially those 6.5s, you know, PRC over 3,000, you know, some of these bullets have a bit of a, apparently a bit of a soft, what people are saying, a bit of a softer jacket compared to some of the other ones. And that one in eight twist over 3,000 feet a second, yeah, just can't handle that. I mean, what would you call it? Um, RPM, whatever it is. Uh, the RPM. Yeah. yeah the RPM is, is, is drastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, burger bullets, man. Just get some burger bullets, you'll be fine. <laughs> that's the that's the thing in Australia. We we because sometimes you bastards over there are always buying all of them, so we can't get them. Sometimes we can't get them in Australia, you know. Like, or they do bring them or in. Either but, that you know. or Lapua bullets are extremely good. Also, the, the the BC is lower, but the bullets are very consistent and very accurate. Yep. Yep. One, probably two questions to finish off, mate. Uh, ne- neck tension, is that something that people need to look at or is that um, something that needs to be part of the, the reloading process and looking at that? Well, you probably could guess this by now, but it, neck tension doesn't matter as long as it is consistent. <laughs> Back to consistency. Consistency, yeah. Uh, yeah, consistency is key, right? So, for example... In my S-class rifles, I, I, I run I run less neck tension than I do in my PRS rifle just because neck tension uh, in S-class rifle, is uh, it doesn't need to be as heavy because the ammo is handled very delicately. In PRS, the ammo is pretty much handled like very poorly the, the entire time. You know, you, you put in a magazine and you're feeding out of a magazine and... And, uh, you know, you keep everything in the, in a, in a backpack and, and, you know, so, so the neck tension needs to be a lot, a lot heavier. You know what I mean? Plus whenever you have rounds in the magazine, every time you shoot, those rounds are in there. So if you have very low neck tension, the, 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 the bullets would move. Right. So, uh, I shoot more neck tension in my PRS rifle, but you know, it is, it is consistent neck tension. So it's not a problem. Obviously, you just like anything, you can fine tune your neck tension to get as good of accuracy as possible. But ultimately, you have to you have to keep in mind what you are going to use that rifle for. So, for example, let's just say I have a hunting rifle that shoots half MOA, but if I go with one thousand neck tension, I can get quarter MOA, which well, useless because hunting ammunition with one thousand neck tension is it's useless. It's it's only good for bench, which in a hunting rifle it's it's not it's not ideal, right? So you have to think about the purpose of that ammunition, and then you can go from there. 
Yeah, very good. Mate, I guess the the second last question to finish off. So let's say, and we've spoken a lot about it, but just, I guess, a short form. If someone, you know, came to you and said, you know, Eric, I want to get into reloading, the top, say, two, or let's say three, the top three tips, number one, that they should look at when reloading to make sure 100%, you need to look at these two or three items to make sure you get good, accurate, and I'll say it again, consistent <laughs> reloads. Yeah, consistent. Well... Look, you have to start by good components, right? If you buy good components, they already did most of the work for you, right? It's, it's back to consistency, right? The only reason people do breast prep is to make them consistent to each other. That's the only reason, right? Uh, same thing with bullet sorting. The only purpose is to make them consistent to each other. So if you go and buy Lapua breast, burger bullets, you already most of the way there you know what i'm saying if yep. now once once you start with really good components and then you can make your rifle shoot really well if you want at that point you can experiment with different brass manufacturers you know you know maybe some stuff that you have to do a little work on or whatever but uh, you you should always start with really good proven components and then you can get your rifle to shoot well because if you have really good components and you cannot get your rifle to shoot well, then you know it's probably in the rifle or the scope, you know? But if you start with bad components and then you can't get the rifle to shoot, now you have no idea what's happening. You don't know if it's the if it's the brass, if it's the bullet, if it's the rifle, if it's the scope. You don't know anything. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So you should, this is go back, back, back to eliminating variables. Once you buy good brass, good bullets, you already eliminated two huge variables, right? And then you can go from there. So any new shooter, what I would tell them is buy good components and you're going to be more than halfway there. Speaking of that, about brass, I mean, you talk about Lapua brass, I mean, and, and that's often something, even from myself and probably a lot of people, is definitely overlooked. I mean, is there a difference between, you know, the top quality brass and the, and the cheaper brass? Oh, well, yeah, it's consistency, right? Yep. Uh, Lapua brass, I don't do anything to my brass. In my PRS rifle, I open the box and I load it up. I do absolutely nothing. In my F-class rifle, all I do is neck turn. And only because I have a tight chamber, but that's it. I neck turn it and that's it. I don't weight sort. I don't, I don't deburr flash holes. I don't do anything else. Absolutely nothing. I, you know, and if you, you can go to my YouTube channel and you see where I shot a 1.3 inch group at a thousand yards with that brass and that brass is, I haven't done anything other than, uh, than neck turn it. That's it. Yeah, exactly. And you, and you spoke about that. I forgot that on my list, uh, the flash hole deburring. I mean, again, good components and consistency. You shouldn't have to do that if you buy good components? Correct. If you buy Lapua brass, don't worry. If you buy Lapua brass, don't worry about anything. You literally buy the brass, you load it with burger bullets, and, you know, I use a bit of Ori powder. And, uh, but, you know, there's there's a lot of really good powders, but you don't have to worry about doing anything to that brass. Most most people that try to uh, uniform the poor brass, they end up ruining the brass. They don't realize it, you know. Mm. Uh, 
you have to, you know, especially flash hole deburring or flash hole uh, or the primer pocket you're deforming. That ruins more brass than anything else because they make the, the, the pocket too deep. And then your firing pin loses a lot of energy because now it has to travel further. And uh, there's, a, you know, the, the firing pin is only going to travel so far, right? It can only protrude so far from the bolt. So if you take away too much from the uh, from your uh, primer pocket, all of a sudden you start having inconsistent ignition, and it's 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 all you're doing. So <laughs> don't touch the breath. Get in the pool breath. Open the box and load it. That's all. That's no. all you have to do. Very good, mate. Um, I guess I should have done this at the beginning. I normally do, but if people want to find out who you are, they want to go on your YouTube channel. They want to go on your website. Uh, give us all that. Where do they find you? Where can they get your uh, consulting services? Where can they do all that? Where do they find you on all the social medias? Yeah. So my, my website is ericcortina.com. Eric is spelled with a K. So ericcortina.com. And you can go on YouTube and just type in Eric Cortina and uh, I'm going to pop up. My channel is Eric Cortina dash pro shooter. That's, uh, that's the name of my YouTube channel. And, uh, you know, if you guys uh, come over to my YouTube channel from here, Make a comment and tell me tell me that you came from here so so I know where you came from. It's always uh, good to see that type of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, let him know you heard uh, Eric on the Australian Hunting Podcast, guys. Let him know in the comments. Um, you know, that, that's always good when people sort of follow up and let them know where they where they heard about you from. And I know there was a thing on there too. I um, was doing a bit of just some some balance beam reloading the other day, just having a bit of a go, a few things, testing a few things. And I saw the uh, – I just took a bit of your advice, actually. I had a, a normal trickler. I think it's an RCBS trickler or something like that. And it's just a bit slow to, to dispense when I was actually doing – I'm tapping on it and I'm doing this. And I saw the – I'm not sure which one makes it now, but I think it was the Dandy or the Amiga trickler. And I was like, man, I've got to have one of those things. So I stra- <laughs> straight on the internet and bought one from the – I couldn't find the Amiga one. They probably changed their name, but I think it's Dandy it's called now. And I <laughs> ordered right. one straight off the internet, I think. Oh, uh, they're, they're so much fun, man. Uh, you know, it's, it's – so beam scales are – if you have a really good beam scale, they are as good as it comes for accuracy. The problem is how slow they are. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yep, yep. Uh, so then you have to get into uh, electronic scales, but to get one that that's really good, you have to spend a lot of money. Uh, so it's it's always a balance that you have to find a balance between speed and accuracy, right? And uh, of course, the uh, the ultimate beam scale is the Prometheus, but they're very expensive, yeah. and those give you speed and accuracy. That's the thing, isn't it? I did have that on my list too about, you know, yeah, speed versus accuracy and electronics. And I've got some of the, the cheaper ones that probably aren't the best. I mean, what's mine? I think it's a Lyman Gen 6, I think it is. And, you know, that can fluctuate out, you know, between, you know, if I'm sitting there in my garage for an hour or two hours and, you know, it's constantly changing. I remember I had it on a balance beam scale once and I'm I'm actually second guessing that the balance beam scale was wrong, but I'm thinking, why is this all of a sudden different now? Why is this reading different? I'm thinking the electronic scales were correct. Then I recollaborated, of thinking, well, no, it's not actually. It was the electronic scales that weren't telling me the truth. Yeah, gravity is not going to change. So it's uh, gravity is very consistent. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Eric, mate, thanks for coming on the show. Anything, uh, mate, you'd like to to you know, say or anything to let people know or any last piece of advice or just any information just to finish off, mate, that'd be great. Keep it fun. 
and uh, pay it forward. You know, bring somebody else with you to the range. And uh, if you learn anything from me or anybody else, uh, just remember how much fun you're having and try to share that with somebody else. Bring them to the range, and uh, hopefully we'll make uh, we'll make the sports grow. And uh, you know, just share the fun that you're having. But uh, also keep it safe, you know, always keep it safe. <laughs> I was going to say one more thing and keep it consistent. <laughs> yeah, keep it safe and consistent. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, Eric Cortina joins me here on the Australian Hunting Podcast to talk about um, living in San Antonio, Texas, and, and the main part of the show, which was consistency on reloading. So, Eric, thanks for coming on the show, mate. Uh, really hope to catch up with you soon and check out him out on his YouTube channel. It's absolutely fantastic so thanks for coming to the show appreciate it all righty take care you've been listening to an episode of the australian hunting podcast i hope you enjoyed it see you next time